You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 27 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Hope you're having an amazing week and you're locked in and you're getting things done and you are stacking winning days. I have another tremendous conversation, an individual to introduce to you, although many of you I'm sure already know, Joe DeSena. Joe is an entrepreneur. He's a CEO of Spartan Races. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and he's got a brand new book called 10 Rules for Resilience, Mental Toughness for Families. Now, this is a different dude, and I mean that in the best way possible. A man on a mission, a mission to get 100 million people to get their asses off the couch and into the arena, the arena of life. He's trying to, as the title of his podcast would suggest, get people to, quote, Spartan up. Joe would tell you that most of us weren't prepared when the pandemic hit and will not be prepared for the next one either unless we make immediate changes to our mindset and how we live our lives. He further makes the point that we cannot instill resilience, mental toughness, and discipline in our kids if we never learn those things ourselves. That discomfort is like oxygen, and that if you don't embrace it, you simply choke out. That we are truly happiest and most alive when we're doing difficult things. Listen, this message may not be for everybody, but I'm guessing if you're here, it is for you. And I know it's for me. I love it. And frankly, people and conversations like this are the reason that I started this podcast. And I took this on so I could meet people like Joe DeSena and have conversations like this one. I loved it. And I think you will, too. So lock this in. Episode 27 of the Reinvention Project with guest Joe DeSena is coming at you right now. Now, Joe, I mean this sincerely. I got more out of the introduction to your new book than many entire books that I've read. So needless to say, I'm very happy to meet you. Very pleased to have this opportunity to have a conversation with you. How are you doing, Joe? How are things? I'm working my ass off. I am uh, completely upside down in this world. We had to shut down 45 countries, but, um, but I'm good. I'm alive and, and uh, I'm fighting through. All right, I can appreciate that response, and we'll get into some of this. Let me let me start right here. My wife, Janet, and I have a son in college, and we've got a son in high school, so I got a shit ton out of your book, honestly. Ten Rules for Resilience, Mental Toughness for Families. Let me start right there, though. Let me ask you, why did you decide to write a book on parenting, and why does every parent need this book? You know, I, my wife was really concerned when I said, um, I'm going to write a, a book on parenting, and, and the reason... I did it was I was having my two boys. We have four children. I was having my two boys carry kettlebells around the neighborhood a couple of years ago. And uh, a woman screeched her car and stopped me and said uh, to the kids, is he, is he a coach? Who is he? Why, why, are you kids okay? I've watched you for 15 minutes carrying those heavy things. And I said, ma'am, uh, they're my children. Uh, we're, we're fine. We're exercising. And she went back and forth, and it got into the heated discussion. And finally, I was as nice as I could be. We continued on, and I thought, you know what? You can't blame her. She hasn't seen a child outside doing hard work in 15 years because kids don't go outside anymore. And it really drove me nuts. Um, and you know, Jim, I've lived all over the world. I lived in Tokyo. I lived in Vancouver. I lived in Singapore. I lived in Vermont. I lived everywhere. And everywhere I go, it's the same friggin' story. So I said, I've got to wake up the world, the developed world, 
to this idea that we are teaching our kids helplessness. And when they go out and they expect, you know, they're expected to get a job, they're expected to live, they're not going to have any of the tools. They have no resilience. We're creating little soft munchkins is what we're doing. My man, already. I'm already so happy with this conversation. So, Joe, my wife and I are no different than a lot of parents who I think really struggled with the way our kids, well, in this case, one of our kids struggled during the pandemic. How often did you hear that from parents? And what did you tell them when they asked you, hey, listen, what's the hack to get more grit and perseverance from my kids? Or better yet, Joe, can we find a doctor who can write a prescription for it? Oh, my God. You know, I had a... Um a psychologist write the book with me because my wife was really concerned that I'm a screwball. And she said, no, no, nobody that reads the book is going to want to get parenting lessons from you. Who are you to give parenting advice? So I said, well, I'm going to get a psychologist who uh, does exactly what you just said, who gets calls from parents, from kids, families, they come in and she is shocked at what she sees and all this stuff is avoidable that she's having to deal with. But during the pandemic, I was on the farm. I moved my family to the farm immediately in March when the whole country got locked down. And uh, we have a farm in Vermont. And I said, um, we're going we're gonna to just live on the farm. We're going to go outside at 5 in the morning, hike the mountain. We're going to chop wood. And we lived like mountain men and women every single day. We put out videos. It was, it was awesome. And people caught on and I started to get all these emails that said, Joe, you know, my kids are not doing so well. They weren't doing well before the pandemic. They're, they're on their screens. And so I started a, a Spartan kid death camp, I called it, which obviously I need to rebrand. And I had all these kids uh, show up from all over the country, literally from all over the country during the pandemic on the farm. And I crushed them. I made them uh, get in cold water early in the morning. I made them do burpees until they puked. I had them uh, chopping wood, doing all kinds of things that we don't let kids do anymore because we're protecting them from themselves. And sure enough, those kids, including my own, left the farm strong and transformed. And um, I I tell you, I I had billionaires send 20-year-old kids during, like when they heard about what was going on. I had all kinds of kids, sizes and shapes, showing up to the farm and selfishly, for me, it was great because we got our kids surrounded by other kids and we're pushing everybody. You know, it's hard to do uh, to your kids alone when no one's around. But that's the secret. And, and if we could just take what I did on the farm and export it to schools and houses everywhere, oh, my God, you'd have, uh, you'd have a completely transformed uh, species. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever before. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing that business, which is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier than ever to get the candidates worth interviewing and faster, and it's free. I love LinkedIn. I use it virtually every single day, literally. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. You can focus on candidates with the skills and the experience that you need. You can use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. This process is amazing, and it's so simple. You use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize exactly who you would like to interview and hire. 
The process to me is amazing. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing, and they do so faster. Did you know that every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Rome. Again, linkedin.com slash R-O-M-E to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Check it out. I mean, Joe, there's something to that, right? Like, I've, I've, never, I've never pushed my kids like that physically, but I've had similar conversations with my wife. My biggest concern was, like, I busted my ass for so long, and then things broke well, and I got very lucky, and then you get the big house on the hill. My biggest concern was, if they grow up on the big house on the hill, how in the world are they going to be ready when we send them out to the real world, which, by the way, is a pretty tough place, a pretty tough place. So as my kids were coming up, my wife and I would have these conversations, Joe, and she'd say, like, look, I'm concerned that they're going to resent you. I'm like, I don't like doing this. This is not fun. The easy thing to do is to sit back and not tough love them. Trust me, they'll respect it. And as the kids got older now, they've come to respect it. We understand it. Here's You tell a great story about one of your neighbors and how you said to this guy, hey, listen, you know what? You should really have your kid come to the farm and work out with us. And he said something to the effect of, you know what, Joe? I would do that. I would do that. But first, you need to make it a little more fun. You know, it's got to be fun. What did you say to him? And then what do you say to all parents who say, Joe, they're kids. Let them be kids. Let them have fun. Well, I mean, my, my standard response now when I hear that, because I get it on social media, I get attacked everywhere. I say, how's that working out for you? Like, like, if we didn't have the diabetes and the depression and the overweight, I mean, it is, the, the stats are terrible. So my saying around the house is save the fun for later. We got work to do right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you kidding me? Fun? <laughs> fun? And by the way, they have fun when they complete challenging tasks and they get to pat themselves on the back and say, I just got something big done. I'm proud of myself. And they could look themselves in the mirror. But if they don't do anything hard and they lounge around, hey, listen, I had eight dogs on my farm. This is a true story, right? I had eight dogs on the farm. I, 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 um, my, somehow the one dog I had got pregnant. All these dogs were born. And I'm trying to figure out how to raise dogs. And what I noticed was when they sat around the house and did nothing, they started attacking each other. They're ripping the furniture apart. But if I brought them outside and we went for a big hike and they were sweat, well, they don't sweat, but you get you get the picture, and they were attacking birds and chasing others. They were happy, as can be. And I know no parent out there wants me comparing children to dogs, but we, as human beings, we need to move. We need to run. We need to have challenges in front of us. Otherwise, we get miserable. We get depressed. We start fighting with people around us. We don't act well. And so I want to have fun. Not here. So what I'm hearing from you, Joe, is fun ain't working. Fun ain't working. Now, listen, Jim, if you and I were doing this show right now in, in the depths of some place in India where, where folks are really struggling to survive and they're living on top of each other, and I'd say, you know what? They could use a little fun. Let's go get them a couch, Netflix, right? But that's not how most of the developed world is living. That's not how we're living. A lot of us have those houses on the hill you described. Those kids need tough love. My mom was tough on me. I mean, tough on my sister and I. And I, and, you know, your wife is right. I, I, was, I resented her. I wanted to hang out with my dad. My dad was easier. 
But then later in life, I was like, oh, my God, my mother was right. She turned me into who I am. She made it hard on me for a reason. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Finish that thought. No, go finish that thought. I like that. No, you're going to have a kid that loves you from the basement because they have no skills to go do anything in life. They'll be living with you forever. I've seen that. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll, exactly. They'll adore me, man. I never asked anything of them, right? I'm the best guy ever. They can yeah. sit there and do nothing and accomplish nothing and live off of me. I bet you, of course, they love me. You know, to that point, how about this, though, Joe? What about this? Like, what if as an adult, what, okay, what if you're that kid and then you become an adult and you never learned it yourself, and then you have kids. So now you're an adult, and you never learned to be truly resilient or mentally tough. How are you going to teach it and instill it in your kids if you never learned it yourself? You're not. In the neighborhood I grew up in, I've seen all sizes and shapes. I've seen those that were gritty and those that weren't, those that got everything from the house on the hill and then can't navigate their way through life and then had other children. Listen, I had two sides of my family. I had one side of the family, like everybody does, that was really gritty, really hardworking. I had another side of the family, and you can't really blame my great uncle because this was, these were tough times. He made a lot of money. He went out to, way out into Long Island where houses were cheap, and he, bought, he literally bought both sides of the block, all the houses on both sides of the block, and every descendant got a house. I've watched that play out now for 35 years, 40 years. It's a disaster. Every kid failed because they got handed everything. I watched the other side of the family who had plenty of money and could have gave away, didn't do anything, made people work to the bone, those kids. They're all hard workers. They're all successful. They could buy their own house on the hill. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those that have everything appreciate nothing. Those that have nothing appreciate everything. It's mm, a great line. So, Joe, in your experience, generally speaking, were we as individuals and families prepared to deal with the pandemic when it did hit? I was. What about everybody else? What about everybody else who called most, you? Or? Most people, most people weren't. You know, um, I, I watched a lot of people every day going in and out of the liquor store. Liquor store had a big, big line. Um, I, I, you know, I was still traveling. I was. I went to Rome. I went to Rome, Italy. There was no one at the Coliseum. No one. I ran around in circles. I did burpees. I wanted to see what it was like to be a gladiator. I said, never again in the history, like, will there be a time when this, when this Coliseum has no one around? Everybody was afraid, locked in their house, being restricted. We didn't. We traveled the country. We, went, we found places like Myrtle Beach in Florida, any place that was open that had a wrestling tournament going on. Most of the, most of the country shuttered, locked themselves in a room, drank themselves, uh, watched TV, and, and got depressed. They were, not, they were not ready for this. They were, yeah, you've got to, you, listen, you do hard stuff. You, 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 you prepare for what might come in the future. You manufacture some adversity in your life so that when the real stuff hits, you're ready for it. You know what the ancient, the ancient Spartans, right, they trained so hard that the kings and queens that lived in neighboring countries around would say, those bastards, they like going to war because it's a break from the training. The training <laughs> is so hard. Wow. So, like I was going to say, and we're getting into it now, Joe, you're leading me into this, but you were prepared. Why wasn't, I don't want to say anybody else, but why were so many people not prepared for the pandemic? What was going on? What happened? 
Yeah, because they don't practice hard stuff. They don't do hard stuff every day, right? They're used to getting their climate-controlled rooms, their shower on demand, their food delivered. Everything is at their fingertips. They flip out when Wi-Fi doesn't work on the airplane. And, you know, if you turn your life upside down purposely and you know what it feels like to be, you know, in 30 below temperatures for 11 days with no food, um, you don't complain when, when it, uh, the news breaks and they say, oh, you know, we're going to have a lockdown for a period. Like, like, if you and I, Jim, if we grew up in Siberia with no food, right, and somehow we ended up at the New York Marathon and we're running and our feet hurt at mile 13, are we going to complain? No way. We're going to say, oh, my God, there's another water station, Jim. Your feet hurt a little bit? Yeah, it's no big deal. Remember, to, remember what it was like 25 years ago in Siberia when we had no shoes in the, you know what I mean? You need a point of reference, a place where you've gone to in your mind where it's really dark and really hard so that when something comes up in your life, you're like, you can refer back to that, those times and say, this is no big deal. I've dealt with this before. Because you've been living that lifestyle, because you've been working on it like this you've been preparing for this it's just the next thing you're ready all right so joe you were doing this already you knew this and those like you knew this what about everybody else listening right now what do we do to make sure that we are prepared for when it or the next thing hits because while we don't know what the next thing is we know there's going to be a next thing what do we start right now doing to make sure we are prepared for the next thing it's so simple jim I mean, it's, I just, I, I wrote another book that I'm not even supposed to talk about that I want to give away for free. It's a tiny little pamphlet. And it's, it's, um, it's so simple, right? Wake up early. I can't wake up early. I go to bed too late. Um, okay. Go, go to bed earlier. Wake early. Yeah, wake up, go to bed earlier. Um, work out in the morning. I can't work out in the morning because I have no time. Okay, well, wake up earlier then. You, you make time, right? You, you, you make time to brush your teeth. You make time to shower. Take a cold shower every day, right? Eat a salad with every, like, it's so simple. Every once in a while, why don't you fast for a day and not, oh, my God, I can't go a day without fast. I'm not going to have my, pro are you kidding me? I watched my mother fast, not eat, and meditate for 30 days straight. You can't eat for a day? It's so simple, Jim. Just get rid of some of the luxuries that we've all become accustomed to. Make yourself uncomfortable purposely. Get comfortable in that discomfort, and you can handle anything in life. You'd be ready for anything. Joe, this whole thing, I, and you write, for instance, like discomfort. This is in the book. Discomfort is like oxygen. How so? What do you mean by that? Listen, you need it. Every cell in your body gets called to attention when, when, you're, when your world gets turned upside down. You go for a sprint. It's hard to sprint. You're gasping for air. Every cell in your body gets called to attention, right? You feel alive, yet you get in that cold shower. It's completely uncomfortable. The science shows it actually reconnects the brain to the body. It actually helps build immunity because, again, those cells get called to attention. What happens when we go in the gym and we do bicep curls? They're uncomfortable. But guess what happens later? Your biceps start to grow. Look, you're either growing or dying and growth occurs in discomfort. I like to envision here's, I want you to close your eyes Envision you and I are plants for trees and we have two choices growing up. We can grow up in a greenhouse where everything's perfect and comfortable, 
Or we can grow up on the side of a mountain with our roots wrapped around a rock and the friggin' wind is blowing and it's raining every day. I want to be that tree, Jim. I don't want to grow up in a greenhouse because the day we get taken out of the greenhouse and it's uncomfortable and we've been comfortable our whole life, we're dead. I was going to say, Joe, what is the flip side of what we're talking about? What is the price we pay for resisting discomfort? Well, the price we pay is when the real you know, shit hits the fan, we're not prepared. We don't know what it feels like to be uncomfortable, right? We've only no comfort. So we flip out. We break. We snap. We're not fun to be around. Every movie, every book, every character that we like are those characters that are cool under pressure, that, that have a set of standards that they just stick to, right? A set of principles. And those are folks that have dealt with uncomfortable before. By the way, we know people like that, right? I mean, you know that no matter how, how nasty things get, how fierce things get, no matter how chaotic things get, you know who's going to blink and who's not. You know who's going to flinch and who's not. You know who's not going to change expression and who's not. We know people like that, and we know who's going to fold right away. Hey, Joe, help me with this, the, the cold shower thing because I had a buddy, and like now, now people, and I don't mean you, because I just mean people, you hear this a lot now, but I had a friend that I met in the 1990s, and he was a Navy SEAL, and he was a guy by the name of Richard Makowitz, and he, he was a black, he had a black belt, and I used to train with him, and it sucked. It sucked because it was hard, and we would meditate, and that sucked because that was hard, but he was the toughest, fiercest guy I had ever met, and I loved him. He passed away, but he was the first guy that ever said to me, take a cold shower, and I mean like 20 years ago, Joe. I'm like, why would I do that? It fucking sucks. He's like, right. I said, yeah, but why would I do that? And he said to me, because it cuts a toughness groove in your brain. That's why. My question to you about the cold showers does it build that immunity you're talking about? Is there like a science to it or does it build toughness or both? It does both. I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I had no idea that um, the brain, it's, nor, it's neuroplastic, right? So it's actually flexible. It's a muscle. Um, it, it literally will lay tracks that the neuroscientists can see when you do hard stuff. Now those tracks are more pronounced and more easily developed between the ages of like 12 and 24. But um, for all of us, when we do hard things, cold shower, go run a marathon, climb a mountain, learn a new language, talk to people um, when, when you're shy, um, it lays little tracks in the brain. So you're getting that benefit with the cold showers. You're, you're building um, immunity from just common cold. You're connecting the brain to the body. It creates a better uh, connection. I've been doing cold showers. It's got to be, Jim. 42 years. Wow. 42 years I'm taking cold showers. And guess what? They still suck. They never get better. And, and, uh, but I, I, I just wanted to see if I was tough enough. The neighborhood I came from, all these guys would go to jail. And they would have to do, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And I started the cold showers. It was silly because I just wanted to see, was I tough enough? I just wanted to know. Could I Amazing. handle could I handle it, you know? And it just became my thing. How long is it, I mean, to get in and get out oh, as quick I'm, as... I'm, I'm in and out. I take fast showers. I'm, I'm in and out in three minutes. And if I'm in Chicago where the water's really cold, it might be two minutes. Huh. All right, so you talked about growing up, Joe. For instance, your first job was, as a teenager, cleaning pools. You went to work for a mob boss, and he had three pieces of advice for you. What did he tell you? 
Yeah. I was cleaning his pool and he said, listen, he said, um, on time is late. If you're going to show up, you better show up 15 minutes early. He said, two, he said, when you clean the pool, he said, you better go above and beyond and straighten up the lawn furniture, go in the shed, clean out the shed. Even though you're not getting paid for that, you better do that and make yourself invaluable. And he said, number three, uh, never have your hand out asking for money. You'll get paid if you're worth it. And he introduced me. I ended up with 700 clients. He introduced me to every mob boss, uh, the lower level. I had everybody between Brooklyn and Long Island, um, Queens, you name it. And um, I just, I followed those three principles and it, and it really, it worked. And, I, and by the way, I took it to other businesses too. And I try to give it to young people, but you know, not everybody, not everybody has that discipline. Right. So, Joe, you you had 700 clients and you started to develop other businesses. You end up on Wall Street. You're doing really well on Wall Street, obviously, with a mentality like this and a work ethic and a grind and a grit. How did you end up on the farm? Like, what happened to Wall Street and how did you end up on that farm? You know, I um, my parents had gotten divorced and I, I had a narrative in my head that um, they were both stressed out. And they just couldn't make the relationship work. So on my trading desk, uh, running my business on Wall Street, I always had a picture of a red barn. And I thought someday when I, you know, when I make enough and I can make it work, I'm going to find uh, a, a wife that's willing to deal with me. And, uh, and then we're going to get a farm. And I'm going to make it a more relaxed environment so that um, I don't want to get divorced. And that's how it happened. And so uh, I met my wife and it happened faster than I thought. And 2000, early 2000, uh, 2000, 2005, I was, I was out of New York and I landed on the farm, uh, in Vermont with my wife and we, uh, we had chickens and goats and we had four children, uh, that were born at, uh, Dartmouth, which is right near the farm, which, um, is the great, if anybody, God forbid, gets hurt or sick, no matter where you are in the country, you should fly to Dartmouth, New Hampshire and go to that hospital because it's like a four seasons. There's nobody there and it's tied to the university. And, um, yeah, it was great. So how'd you make that work? If, if you walk away from a really well-paying job to go to the big red barn, you still got to generate some income. How'd you make that work? A very difficult challenge. Um, I, at first I had a leg still on wall street, even though I was on the farm and then I uh, completely gave that up. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start putting on races. And Spartan Race was born. And uh, in the early days, I couldn't get anybody to do these races. They all thought I was nuts. I used to have to lie to people and say, well, come up to the farm for a barbecue. <laughs> and then I would wake them up early in the morning, and they'd say, why are we getting up at 5 in the morning for a barbecue? I said, well, we've got to carry the barbecue up the mountain. <laughs> and, uh, Great. and eventually people stopped coming because they knew. But, um, but ultimately, in 2010, 2011, it started to work. We, we uh, changed the name. We called it Spartan. It was a good time. CrossFit was becoming popular. Lots of uh, boys and girls were coming back from uh, Iraq, and um, they were interested in something like this. Facebook was becoming big, and, um, and it just exploded. Um, it continued to burn cash and lose money for a long time, but uh, just before COVID, I finally made it work. I bought out uh, my competitor. And I felt like I was on top of the world for about 11 seconds and then COVID hit. And, uh, boy, it's been a, it's been a challenging, uh, 18 months. So what, 
Okay, I was going to ask you something else, and I will in a minute. So where did you go with that? Like, it's all coming together, you're setting it up perfectly, and then all of a sudden now you can't hold any races. You can't really go anywhere. You can't just go to – you can't go back to Rome and run all your races there. Like, what What did that force you to do as an individual and a business person to figure that thing out? How did you process that? What did you do? I was really lucky. I, I have a friend who's an incredibly successful billionaire, and I remember I was in Europe, and I had to leave the country to make it back to the United States before the door closed. And I had time at Heathrow Airport, and I called him, and he said, um, you've got to protect whatever cash you have in the bank. You know, if you've got $10, you've got to protect that cash. Um, try to hold off paying bills. You're, it's going to be terrible, but you're going to have to furlough people. You're going to have to lay them off um, because you don't know how long this is going to last. And if, and if you can't live to fight another day, there's no more business. So imagine at that moment, we've got 501 employees. We've got um, at least 350,000 people at that moment in time by March that have signed up for some race somewhere. And I got to tell 350,000 people, uh, I'm sorry, I can't give you your money back. I, I, I'll give you another race when I can put on races again, but I don't know when that is. Uh, I've already spent my money to put on the races that are getting canceled. Um, but... I pinched myself and I said, I'm still alive. I'm alive. My family's healthy and this absolutely sucks. This is a disaster. I don't know what the future is going to look like, but we're going to, we're going to hunker down. We're going to fight through it and uh, we're going to, we're going to live to fight another day. So, you know, it's what's going on here. Also, Joe, you're having some really hard conversations, really hard conversations. And I feel really strongly about this topic. You also write about this in the book as well. I'm going to take this directly from your book. This is a quote. I know the truth. Everything is hard. Life is hard. Health is hard. Burpees are hard. Eating right is hard. Honesty is hard. Integrity is hard. Changing habits are hard. Parenting is hard. Choose your hard. End of quote, which I love. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by choose your hard? Well, listen, uh, eating healthy is hard. And my answer would be eating unhealthy is harder. You might not know it right now, but I watched my father die in a hospital because he didn't take care of himself. He didn't eat well, Right. Um, you choose your heart. Can you delay gratification, not put that cookie in your mouth, not, not take that short term money or whatever it might be, right? Because it's too hard or pay the price later. It's even harder. So, you know, you have a little, you have a little bit of discipline. You don't take the shortcut and, um, it really, it really, it might feel like it's harder now, but it really is easier. It really is easier, and that's what I mean by that line. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe, what's the difference between resilience and what you would call true resilience? Yeah, like resilience to me is that ability to bounce back. But true resilience is that ability also to be agile. I mean, you had that connection to your friend, that Navy SEAL, who studied martial arts. And so I, it makes me think of Bruce Lee, right? Be the water. Oh, God, he so, loved, dude, he loved, like all of us, he loved Bruce Lee, man. That was his guy. Yeah, and so, and so I think it's, it's that ability to not only bounce back, to not only be a rock if you need to, but also be the water and pivot and understand that your environment's changing and just be completely flexible. You don't want to be so rigid that you break, right? You want to, you want to, be, you want to be able to bounce back. You want to have structural integrity but be flexible that makes sense yeah it does absolutely it does joe i would imagine that you've seen every kind on the farm so let me ask you this say you wake up 
and you're 40, or hell, even 50, and you think to yourself, you look in the mirror, and you think, man, I wasted my freaking life. I never pushed myself. I never took any real shots. I chose easy over hard all the time, and now, man, I am full of regret, and it's too late to do anything about it. My question is, is it? Is it too late for that person to develop true resilience and do something legitimate about it? Never too late. Never too late. I don't. You remember? Um, this stuck with me as a kid. You remember Carvel ice cream? You bet. Remember that? You sure I do. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember hearing that that guy started that business at like sixty-two years old. And so it's never too late. Like you know, owning a business is hard work. And so to start a business at that at that age and build something at that age, it just goes to show you, like again, if you and I were. 70, I've seen 70, 80, and 90-year-olds out on our courses, by the way. But if, if you were 70, 80, or 90 years old, and God forbid we were in a plane crash and we had to go 26.2 miles to safety, we would do it. So it's never too late. Don't, don't wait until it's too late, right? I don't want to get to my deathbed and say, man, um, I could have did more of this. I could like The other thing I tell people is there's no way you and I get to our deathbed, Jim, and we say, I wish we watched more Netflix. Right? There's no, no chance. way we're going to say that. No chance. No, there, there's, there's no chance. No there's chance. absolutely no chance. So, like, Spartan racing, Spartan races, I should say, Joe, what, I mean, I, I know what this is, but for somebody listening right now who's not a runner, who's never done it, what is it? And why should they do it? What do they take? What do they get from that? You are a different person at the finish line than you are at the starting line of a Spartan race. The Spartan race will have, let's call it, 30 obstacles in your way. Stuff that scares you, stuff that's very hard to do, stuff that you're afraid of, right, that, that, um, that's cold, um, feels dangerous. And uh, why would I do that, Joe? Kind of like you asked your, uh, your sensei there, the Navy SEAL, like, why would I take that cold shower? And as you go through this course, as you go up and down the mountains and, you know, cover eight miles or 13 miles, depending on the distance of the race, and you're faced with these challenges, these obstacles, you're literally transforming. You're literally meeting yourself out there. Maybe it's raining, right? Maybe you're helping somebody who's laying on the ground and looks hurt. You literally transform yourself during that run, during those obstacles. You get to the finish line, you're a new person. Don't take my word for it. I've had 10 million people do this in 45 countries, all sizes, shapes, genders. Everybody says the same thing. Oh, my God, you changed my life. That's simple. You know, one last thing. No, no, go ahead. To change change iron into steel, we got to heat it, we pound it, and we drown it. And that's what we're doing to the individuals that go do a Spartan race. We're turning iron into steel. Joe, what about the process? I mean, they don't just show up the day of the race and do that. What kind of training, what kind of process goes into this? Kind of take me through it. Like somebody who's never done that before is like, I've had enough. I don't like me. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I want true transformation. I want to run a Spartan race. What's the process? Well, first things first, uh, most people around the world are going to say to you and I, well, I'll do it when I'm in shape. Right. I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it when I'm eating healthy. I lose a little bit. No, nonsense. You'll never do it. Okay. I used to wake up at five in the morning in in New York when I lived in New York City and run around Central Park 
There's 8 million people in New York. I would be lucky to see seven, seven people. <laughs> right. right? They're not waking up early. They're not getting ready for the sport. You're never going to do it. But if you sign up for something hard, doesn't have to be a Spartan race. Could be the New York Marathon. Could be a, a class that you're taking, a new language. If you sign up and you commit, then what happens is in the time that, from the time you sign up to the time you actually have to show up, you go to bed early. You put down the cookie. You stop drinking the extra wine. You wake up early. You do the workouts. Take the cold shower. You'll do all that because you don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to get hurt. You want to be ready. But if you think that you're going to just sit around and someday do it on your own, and then when you're ready, it never happens. will never happen. So you decide and you commit. Let me ask you this. Like, you, you sort of struggle with words like resilience and grit and toughness and strength in the sense of the way these types of things are now marketed, packaged, and sold. I mean, they're selling this shit, right? But you can't actually buy resilience or grit and toughness, right? It's not for sale, is it? Anywhere? Well, listen— here we are talking about a book that I got coming out, but I would say, guys, Fair enough. a book is not going to do it for you. A podcast is not going to do it for you. Don't get me wrong. I'd love for you to listen to Jim's podcast. I'd love for you to buy the book. Um, and I think it'll give you some tools and some knowledge, but um, you don't even need the book and you don't need Jim's podcast. What you need to do is leave all your money at home and have your wife drop you off or your husband drop you off 20 miles from your house in the rain and work your way home. That's what you need. That's how you develop resilience. So I agree with you. It's very hard to buy. It, you know, it sounds good in cocktail parties or whatever, but if you really want to develop it, you got to do the work. So Joe, let me, let me finally ask you this. Like we've been talking about this and I don't want to be redundant, but this is a podcast on reinvention, right? Like I'm a 50 something year old guy and obviously I'm searching for something. Like I don't, I don't want to rest on my laurels, and I'm not quite where I want to be, and I'm trying to figure out how to get there. So I would think reinvention might be kind of interchangeable with transformation. You're in the business of transformation, and I mean true transformation. And to the stories and anecdotes you've shared, you've seen it. Like, you've seen almost every kind of individual transform themselves. So I know you can speak to it. Is true transformation truly possible for somebody, Joe, who's been stuck in the same patterns and same behaviors for years or even decades? And if so, is that, how do you do that? You just literally, you start, you commit, you go, you step? So it's so simple. Um, First of all, if you're listening out there and you're questioning whether it's possible, maybe maybe it's too late. You feel like you're too old, whatever the reason is, right? You're too ingrained in your habits. Old dogs don't learn new tricks. I have had 10 million people come out and do races, 10 million. And they send emails every single day. I gave up alcohol. I no longer do drugs. I lost 100 pounds. I'm back with my husband. I'm back with my wife. I gave up my job. I started a business. All because they went out and did something hard and it woke them up. It sparks something inside. I mean, just think about it. If you're eating a ton of processed food and you're living on the couch and you do the same old job every day, the same traffic, the same things, you never give your brain a chance to grow, your body, you don't challenge yourself, you're going to be stuck there. As soon as I take you out of that and we put you on, you know, just really shake up your whole existence, it gives your mind and body a chance to explore something new. And, and um, anybody can experience that, any size, shape, 
gender. Again, 45 countries, Jim. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. I get the emails every day. Um, but, I, you know, a book might, again, I'm selling a book here, but a book might inspire you, a podcast might inspire you to do that, but you actually got to go do something. You know what I'm hearing from you, actually? Number one, shock the system. Shock the system. Like, there's this whole thing about, like, you can't really shock the system. You can get incrementally better, and if you get better by 1% a day or per week, hey, look, that's good, right? Any kind of improvement is good. Either you're getting better or you're getting worse. I love this notion, Joe, like, you can shock the system. And number two, what I want to say, you've said this a number of times today, it's simple, it's simple, it's simple. This is one of those, it's simple but not easy, right? I mean, it is simple but not easy. Simple but not easy. I like that sentence a lot. I you wish, do have to I, wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. But yeah, go ahead. You do, you, but, but you right, can't. Remind, you're reminding me of uh, my old swimming pool cleaning days where I would get there and the pool was green and I literally had to shock the pool to, to get it clear. <laughs> I, I, I could have talked to it. I could have played a podcast or a song or read it a book. <laughs> Great. But unless I shocked the friggin' pool, it did not get clean. That's a good analogy. I like that. You got to shock the system. All right. So again, we, you have to do the work, but the book, it's a great book. Like I said, I mean this, I want to circle back to it. The, the intro to the book was better than a lot of books I've read. The intro is only a few pages. It's that good. It's that good of a book. 10 Rules for Resilience is an incredible read. I would imagine, Joe, our listeners can get it wherever they get their books. Is that the case? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Pre-order it. Tell, you know, 500 of your friends to, to <laughs> pre-order it because, um, Selfishly, first of all, anybody, and Jim, you, you, you could test, testify to this. You, you don't make a lot of money with books. But what we do do, hopefully, is inspire somebody to shock the system with the book. So um, hopefully, a couple of parents out there get excited enough to put their kids through some hard stuff. And, um, and that helps the next generation. I don't want to end up with a bunch of uh, kids that, that, you know, scared of their own shadows, looking down at screens all day. So we got we to get the message out there. Actually, you said something else that I came across that I want you to refer to really, or, or actually just kind of reference really quickly, Joe. You, you want your kids to be tougher than you. I think that's a big ask, but not impossible. Why is it so important for the next generation to be even tougher than you? You know, it, that saying comes from ancient Sparta. That was their saying, was to be better than us. We, we want the next generation to be better than us. Otherwise... Why did I do all the work, Jim? Why did you do all the work if you don't want your kids to use that as a stepping stone to take it to the next level? My mother and father got to level one. They helped me. On, you know, I got on their shoulders. I got to level three. I want my kids to get to level five. That's why we're doing all this. God, Joe, it's so true, isn't it? Like I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, listen, 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 listen. My life worked out pretty well. I'm trying to make it better than it is. But if somebody came to me one day or today and said, hey, hey, by the way, old man, you've had a pretty good run. Nobody gives a damn about what you have to say anymore. I'm pretty good. Like it worked out pretty well. I'm not pushing you to live vicariously through you. I'm doing this for you. I'm good. My life is good. Your life's not going to be good if you don't push yourself. This is the message that I'm trying to share. Isn't that what you're saying? Like we're pretty good. We want to make sure you're good or better than us. Yeah, good and better than us. Not good or good and better than us. That's, yeah, but, that's our goal. Yeah, but what if they don't, yeah, Joe? But you know what? At the same time, really quickly, what? What if they don't want that for themselves? Is that okay with you? Of course it's okay, but everybody should want to be better. I don't care if you're – you don't need to get an Olympic gold medal. You don't need to build a $3 million. But you need to be able to get up early in the morning and grind through because life requires that. 
Yeah. Life requires that. Unless you want to get up every morning and have life kick your ass and punch you in the face, and that's not a lot of fun, right? Not a lot of fun living in the basement, Jim. <laughs> no, it's not. All right, so listen, if they want more information on Spartan races or anything else that you're working on, where do they go to get that? Well, anybody could always shoot me an email. I answer my own emails, but don't. it's got to be one sentence. I can't read long emails. Joe at Spartan.com. You can go on Spartan.com, and you can check out anything about our races all around the world as they come back. And then um, you find the book on Amazon. Just, just Google uh, 10 Rules for Resilience, and uh, you'll see it. Pre-order it. And um, come visit on the farm, too, if you want to come out to the farm. Be careful what you wish for. People come to the farm, and they leave right away. They're like, holy shit, this guy really uh, expects me to work. Does that really happen a lot, Joe? A lot. Not the kids, though, right? The kids, once the kids are there, they got to stay pretty much. they got no way out. They got no way out. We lock them down. <laughs> My man. All right, and you have a podcast. you got a podcast, Spartan Up. Check out the podcast. We interview all kinds of cool people. We should have you on, Jim. I like I like your attitude. Good. I'll I'll take you up on that. I'd be honored to be on that. All right, Joe. Yeah. I I listen sincerely. Great book. Great energy. Great message. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for spending so much time today, Joe. I really do appreciate that. It was great. To the man. My man, Joe DeSena, just throwing it back old school, spartaning up, leaving Wall Street taking it to the farm and doing legitimate work, hard work every day and bringing others in to do the same. I absolutely love it. I love the message, the grit, the toughness mentally and physically that it requires. You know, and this message that we need to be preparing our kids for what's out there because what's out there is an ass kicking if they're not prepared. Because life is hard. Everything about it is hard. So we need to prepare our kids. But we can't prepare them if we haven't first prepared ourselves. To Joe's point, and I quote, Depression has skyrocketed. Divorce is up. The rate of joblessness is frighteningly high. Ask yourself whether you are ready for what comes next. And if you are not, your kids sure as hell are not either. End of quote. And although it may sound like a broken record and something I reset nearly every single episode, it is so true. Every guest that I've had on, every person of note, anybody who has overcome long odds and tremendous adversity and got on to achieve amazing things in every walk of life will say the same thing that Joe is saying. Choose your hard. Do the actual work. There is no shortcut. There is no hack. You can't buy grit or resilience, or mental toughness. You can't get it by taking a pill or buying it online. It's not for sale. You have to do the hard work because everything good truly is on the other side of hard. When I said to Joe, generally speaking, were we ready when the pandemic hit? His response was, and I quote, I was right. Because he did choose his hard, and he did so decades ago, and he has lived his life that way every day in the decades since. Maybe we didn't know that this particular pandemic was going to hit, but we should have known that something would, because something always does. The question we have to ask ourselves is, were we prepared when it did, or did we fold like a card house? And if we weren't prepared for it, what are we doing now to prepare for the next one? Because there will be a next something. It's not a question of if, but a matter of when. 
The question is, are we doing everything we can to strengthen our minds and our bodies and our souls for when it does hit? You may say he or this really is not a message for you. I would counter with this is the exact message that we need to hear at the exact time, right here, right now. Put the phone down, turn off the screen, stop scrolling, get to work. Man, get to work on you. As he and everybody else I respect will tell you, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Nobody stays the same. So which one is it? And don't BS yourself. If you got something out of that conversation, you want to make sure you get Joe's new book, 10 Rules for Resilience, Mental Toughness for Families. I did. It's a tremendous read. If you appreciate this podcast generally, if you could review it and subscribe to it, that would be awesome. Thank you very much for that. And feel free to share it too. And as always, thank you so much for making time for this podcast. And for me, I do appreciate it. And I will see you all next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.